Hello, and welcome back to Brain Dump. Thanks for uh, listening, and I thank all of those guys and girls involved in the uh, Brain Dump Facebook group. I really, really appreciate it. So uh, this week, Jazz came on the show, and it was really interesting to listen to her talk about not only her training, but also sort of the pressures she has to deal with of being a professional athlete. Uh, but without further ado, here's this week's episode. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Brain Dump. This is a podcast where we talk about life from the meaningful to the extreme. Awesome. So uh, today on the show we have Jazz, and Jazz is all the way from America at the moment. Um, and if you don't know Jazz, Jazz is a Olympic hopeful and GB athlete. Um, and you're out in America at the moment, is am I right? Yes. Hi. I'm currently in Florida. My training group is based out here, so um, I get to be in the sun. Nice, oh, sweet. So, when you mean by training group, is it like is this other English athletes as well, or? So there's a few other Brits. Um, I think there's now four of us, but the groups. I think we're almost thirty in total now, um, and it's a big international group. Uh, we've got Americans, we've got Caribbeans, we've got other Europeans and just people from pretty much all over. The, the one thing that links us all is that we are all sponsored by Adidas. Um, it's an Adidas group. You kind of have to be with Adidas to join the group. Um, it's mainly a sprint group. So everybody else is either a 100, 200 or 400 meter runner. And then I do the long jump. <laughs> Does that ever mean that you do a lot of your training on your own or do you get to mingle with them a bit more? In the winter, we're, we cross over completely. So I do everything that they do in the depths of winter. Um, but this time of year, the season's coming around, I have to do my specific jump training and that's on my own. But it's, it's never too bad. Um, it's only sort of two sessions a week that are completely alone. Um, and so when did you first, you know, get into athletics? Presumably it must have been at school or something. Yeah. So every time I tell somebody that I do long jump, they say, oh, I tried that in primary school. And that's exactly where I started. I just never stopped. <laughs> um, yeah. So I started, I tried when I was about eight or nine, probably tried at school um, and was, was trying all the events. I was sprinting, high jumping, throwing um, and just loved it. So eventually joined my local athletics club, got involved there and started doing um, heptathlon. So was training for seven events and then just kind of carried that on until I was about 17 um, and then got involved with bobsleigh for a couple of years and so didn't have time to train for seven events dropped down to the long jump and then I've I've kept just doing that ever since presumably you know you've sort of enjoyed it and that you know that's basically <laughs> why, why you've stuck to it yeah I loved it right from the outset so when I when I first tried athletics I was training as a gymnast um sort of three four times a week but I found athletics just way more fun. I enjoyed the environment of competing more than I enjoyed the gymnastics environment. Um, and I liked the the variety in the events. So I loved it from the outset. And then I still do. I mean, there's been periods over the years since it's become my job where it's been less than enjoyable when the pressure piles on and things aren't going so well. But as a sport, as the experience of going out and competing, yeah, I absolutely love it. Yeah, I can imagine that, especially when, you know, you live athletics. It must be quite hard to find some some breathing space from the sport when ultimately, you know, you do it for fun. But when there is pressure involved and you need to achieve, that can't be easy to deal with. 
Yeah, it's a strange one because for years and years, even when I'd started to earn money from it and it was my job, I was still doing something else. So all the way up to the sort of mid-2016, I was still studying at the same time as training. And so training still, even though I was getting paid, still felt like a hobby. It was like something that I'm choosing to do, something that's fun and, and enjoyable. And I assumed that when I finished studying and became a full-time athlete that it would just be incredible because I think okay well I can pour all my energy into this but actually it was sort of the opposite it felt like there was so much more pressure because now this is the one thing that I'm doing this is the only thing that's bringing money in this is the one focus that I have it became slightly less enjoyable I think and it took me a couple of years to to find the love again after I went sort of full-time that can't be easy like how how do you manage to juggle sort of athletics with you know fun and the rest of your life it can be challenging um I think I am a person that sort of likes to be out and about with my friends a lot but I've I've figured out over the years what I can and can't get away with you know there's there's not going to be nights out um while I was at uni I kind of I got really good at the don't drink and leave really early um but now I need more sleep than that so I, I just don't really go out at all especially when the season's in um but in terms of normal life I mean my training schedule means that I have a lot of free time in the afternoons you know there's only so many hours a day you can train for long jump and it be useful Mm. you know with an endurance event you can be running for hours sometimes but for for my event for a power sport there's no use in just training and training and training and training you know I'm not trying to build up endurance I'm, I'm trying to be powerful and fast so most of my afternoons are free so I actually have quite a lot of free time I just need to make sure I I choose the right kinds of activities activities that are going to mean that I stay recovered for training you know I can't just go out and be playing another sport for example um so I can't pick up a hobby like that or anything that's going to keep me up really late but but I do have quite a lot of freedom yeah I know particularly with something like long jump where yeah, as you said, it's explosive. So your your CNS just gets absolutely fried if you try to do too much of it. Yeah, completely. And sometimes of the year you can really, really feel it. After sort of some long haul flights, lots of jumping and maybe lots of sort of deadlifting in the gym, the central nervous system is absolutely beat up. And <laughs> yeah. you know, you can you can tell. So recovery is as important as training. I can imagine. So juggling all that must be possibly hard. So um like, what does the average week of training look like f- for someone like yourself? Okay, so I technically I'm training Monday through Saturday, um, but the the heavy days are Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday, where I'll have a track session in the morning and then also a gym session straight afterwards. Um, that'll gen that the timing of that generally is from nine to about two o'clock. Um, so those are sort of heavy days on lighter days, which are Wednesdays and Saturdays, they're kind of active recovery. So we'll spend the time doing any rehab we've been given from a physio, any prehab we've been given from a physio. And then on top of that, we have to just do something to make sure we stay active and to make sure that we get ready for the next day of training. Um, so that tends to be more like two hours in the morning. It's not, not an intense session. And then Sunday is a complete rest. Okay. I mean, it's, it's not light as well. I was looking at your Instagram story the other day where you're jerking 80 kilos. And that's that's a lot, particularly, <laughs> you know, for uh, for someone of your size. Like, that's a lot. Like, your power to weight ratio must be pretty damn good to be able to do something like that. Yeah, that's kind of what we focus on, really. So my my competition weight will be around 58 kilos. Um, I'm sitting higher than that at the moment just because we're not quite into the season. Um, 
but the whole aim is to get your power to weight ratio as good as physically possible um because really that's what long jump's about it's it's speed and power and if you can take off at the board and be light then it's much easier to fly through the air so i mean i've done a lot of kickboxing and it's very similar to the power to weight ratio but obviously not to, to your level but surely nutrition must play such a big aspect uh with you know keeping your weight down when it comes to the season is so what, what does your diet look like oh i'm still in the midst of figuring that out it's um <laughs> it's a ne- <laughs> yeah it's a never ending battle seemingly sometimes um we have nutritionists to help us but generally you sort of know what you should and shouldn't be doing but in heavy training it's really hard so i eat fish but not um land meat and that's just a a nod to me trying to be do something for the environment slightly although Mm. i know that fishing and overfishing isn't great but i'm trying to do something um so i'll generally try and put fish in two out of three meals a heavy focus on protein around training sessions uh, and carbs around training sessions and then beyond that um just try and maintain a stable weight throughout the winter so i'm not i'm not concerned about being light in the winter i just don't want to be putting on loads of weight so that it's going to be hard to to lose in the summer um when the competition season comes around so i mean i try and focus my diet around uh produce so lots and lots of vegetables lots of fruit um fish eggs nuts but then I have the most aggressive sweet tooth known to man. So, you know. <laughs> My next question was going to be, what do you have on a treat day? Yeah, well, I wish it was just on a treat day. This is, this is why I say it's a never-ending battle. Um, but it's it's sweets. It's always sweets. Um, oh, and no. any kind of strawberry pencil oh, will no. just see me off. Yeah, I know. Oh, I know. I'm sucking for a strawberry pencil. Uh, yeah, yeah. And Kinder chocolate, little Kinder Maxi bars. It's a godsend that I can't get them over here. You can't get them in America. Can you not? Oh, no, get it. No, they're just, you can't, I don't know, unless you get them at the airport, you know, in those giant, um, the giant packets. Oh, yeah. You can't get them here, which is kind of useful because um, it means that I can't stuff them into my face. <laughs> <laughs> just hide, hide them off the macros just so no one knows. <laughs> It's just not, uh, it's, it's probably not on the recommended list from the nutritionist. Mm. Um, but I mean, when we go away to competitions, we had a, we had a team meeting about this the other day. It's very, very easy to overeat even on healthy stuff because you, generally the competitions will put on a big buffet for you. And you just want to try a little bit of everything, don't you? You want yeah. to try a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And all of a sudden you've got a plate three times the size of one that you'd eat at home. And yet you haven't done the same training sessions because you're about to compete tomorrow. So your energy input is just so much higher than your energy output and it's just inevitable that you gain weight during the season if you're not really careful with with all this pressure around food and performance does it like do you ever worry about sort of your mental health when it comes to because obviously a lot of uh you know young women struggle with eating disorders and stuff do you ever worry about that kind of pressure on on yourself yeah absolutely we have um I think several times a year, the governing body checks in on us and we do questionnaire to make sure that we're not falling into sort of disordered eating patterns um, because there is so much pressure and it's not just kind of for performance, but also it's it's how we look. And so, mm. you know, every time I put out on Instagram, for example, um, the questions feature, 
I will always get young upcoming athletes asking me how many calories you in a day? How many calories should I be eating? Um, how do I get abs? How, and it's just so much focus on food and I, I don't really know how to fix that. Mm. Um, because there's, there's there's so much pressure to be a certain size, shape. You know, I've had comments on Twitter before um, after I didn't do well at a competition saying, well, she needs to go on a diet. She's she's too big. Chubby long jumpers don't win gold. Oh and you just God. think you have no idea mm. what actually goes into competing. And people are so, so, so quick to look at an athlete that is in visual good shape and say, yes, they're ready to compete. They're going to do well, but you don't know how that happened. This could be someone that's starved themselves for months. Yeah. Just now see their abs and you go, oh, well, they're ready to compete really well. Um, but you don't know that at all. And you don't know that somebody who weighs a little bit more is unhealthy. And it's, it's, it can be really worrying because you, you do see disordered eating patterns all over the place in sport. Um, but you also see people justifying it because you see people saying, well, you know, anything to win. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Like, it's interesting that, so obviously I have this, uh, you know, kickboxing background and we have weight classes. And so... so it's even worse for kickboxing, surely. It's like weight controlled yeah, in terms of you need it, a certain weight to compete. To a, yeah, to a degree. I mean, I definitely had some issues when I had no idea, any, you know, about nutrition when I was in my teens. But, and I think as you get older, you learn to appreciate things differently and you, you know, you realize that a balanced diet is more important than, than, you know, just what macros you're getting in. But it's interesting, like I'd never thought about athletics and weight. I assumed, you know, you want a good quality diet, but it's worrying that it's almost, uh, the figure is more important than uh you know how you achieve it like oh i need to be this weight and that weight it means optimum performance and i do worry that you know little girls looking up to you will be like you know i need to have this physique or i need to at least look a certain way to compete and that's a bit scary it is a bit scary i think you have to really put yourself in a performance mindset before you even try and approach those topics because if you don't then you're in danger of of veering into things that have nothing to do with sport and have, like you say, everything to do with appearance. Um, you know, we get weighed periodically here at training. And obviously as, as athletes, as professional athletes, we know the context of that. We know that it's not just about the number there, but for somebody looking on, you know, once every couple of months in the gym that we train at, which is a public gym, hmm. but there'll be a line of us all standing there. Um, our coach with a notebook, everyone stepping on the scale and him going, yep, good. No, not good. Yes. Good. No, don't like that. And, you know, for somebody looking on, that could look terrible. But with the context that we have, we know that, okay, well, this is to do with training. This is because I've gained muscle mass. This is because um, I'm not quite where I need to be. Someone over here might need to gain a little bit of weight. But it can look worse than it is. And I think for somebody who isn't yet at the level where they can separate um, performance and sort of aesthetics, it can be really dangerous. Mm. I've had so many people, so many really young girls, and this isn't just exclusively to, to women, but when you look at the clothes that in athletics women wear, you can see why it's more of a problem with women because we're in crop tops and tiny little briefs. Yeah. Um, a lot of people will immediately judge your sort of worth as an athlete based on how you look and whether or not you've got six visible abs. And I don't want people to look and say that that's, that's what they need to think about if they want to be a great athlete because it's not. Yeah, it is a difficult one because I, I always try to say to people, 
like performance and training is you know ultimately what we're after and we want to better ourselves and you know improve that looking good naked is just a byproduct of that and if you're doing it properly it's fine um but yeah it must it must be so difficult particularly for someone like yourself when there's a lot of eyeballs on you whether it's on social media or when you're actually competing do you struggle with that pressure yeah honestly yeah I find it really hard um I've had coaches I've had people close to me in my life you know look at me and say well I don't maybe this result you got is because you're too heavy and that comes from people who don't have an understanding of my training of my um sports psychology and all they see is they go well you're not as skinny as the other girls who were doing better than you so it must be that and because that's such a visual thing and people can look at that and say I can identify the problem so many people do but what people also fail to consider is that I'm five foot three and most of these long jumpers are (laughs) not five foot three they're so (laughs) five foot ten plus a lot of them are that tall um I'm never going to have the same body type as these people. And people have come to me before and say, you know, why don't you just lose some weight? And you think, well, if I don't have this power in my legs, um, I'm just not going to be able to to push myself through the air. So it's it's very individual, um, but it's really, really easy to think that you know what you're talking about and to think that weight is the most important thing. And I think it's taken me a really long time. And I'm still not 100% there to reassure myself that me looking skinny isn't the most important thing. Yeah, I think we all come in different shapes and sizes and there's definitely a big delusion to what people should look like. Um, And yeah, and I think, you know, the minute you start judging people by how they look is, is a very dangerous territory, which leads into my next question, which is, have you experienced racism? So I've been relatively lucky in that I haven't really experienced much. I I did have one specific experience um, a couple of years ago around Christmas where somebody came at me on Twitter for no reason. Absolutely. I hadn't messaged them. They weren't already following me, weren't an athletics fan. I think I just must have popped up on their feed. Somebody retweeted me onto their feed and they thought, here's a black person I can have a go at. Um, and we're just saying things like, I, don't, I can't believe you say you're British. How could you think you're British? Um, get out of the country. Nobody wants you here. We don't want you to represent this country. And, you know, the police handled it really well. I took it to the police. Um, they found who it was. And there were um, repercussions. He had to take a course and, and write me an apology. But I've actually been lucky in the athletics. It's in terms of race, there's an awful lot of diversity. Um, and so really in my sport, it's very, very normal to be of any race. Mm. God, I mean, it's pretty disgusting that people out there still think like that. I just, yeah, it, it baffles me. Um, and you just think, and it, it turned out this is somebody that doesn't leave the house ever, that lives in, in his parents' house and, you know, may never have met a non-white person. And you just think, okay, well, that mm. doesn't excuse it, but I can actually understand. But I think because I'm so used to meeting people from all different cultures all over the world, I can't believe that that happens. But for somebody that's never maybe met anyone from a different race, you can go, okay, well, maybe I can see why this is still happening. No, for sure. And talking about um, culture clashes, how how has it been since you've moved to America? <laughs> I found it really hard. Yeah, um, I expected it to just be England with sun, and it's not. <laughs> <laughs> it's not at all. But the first year I was here, I didn't have a car. 
And I didn't think that was going to be such a problem because there's been years and years that I haven't had a car in the UK. But in central Florida, it's, well, you can't go anywhere without a car. You can walk. I could walk to my closest supermarket and I could cycle for about 25 minutes to my nearest coffee shop, which isn't isn't too bad, but it's up and down a load of hills in the blazing heat. <laughs> Not ideal for training either. <laughs> Not ideal for training, exactly. And on the side of a of a highway. Um, and so when I first got here, I found it really, really tough. Uh, I found it really hard to make friends. I felt like all I did was train and then just wait until training again the next day. Um, I had friends and a boyfriend at home, but after about 6 p.m. here, everyone I know is asleep. Mm. Um, so you must get really lonely. Really lonely. And that's still something I'm I'm trying to manage and I'm still really struggling with that. It's I have my training group and they're absolutely great and I love training with them. Um, not everybody wants to socialize outside of training and that's fine. I totally understand that. And I can't expect people to just, you know, be around because I, I want someone to talk to. Um, and then I find, and I think lots of people as adults find this, it's really hard to make new friends. Where do, where do you make new friends as an adult? How do you do that? Mm. Um, everyone always already has their friends. And so, you know, I tried to get involved in sort of music communities and, and that's a lot to do with getting drunk and staying up late so that I couldn't really do that. Um, and then beyond, I, beyond that, I found it really difficult to make friends. No, definitely. Um, I, I, I feel like I can resonate that when, when I was pushing my kickboxing to the, the, you know, as hard as I could. And it is, you know, everything you want to achieve and everything you want to do, but it comes at a huge sacrifice. Uh, and your social life is ultimately probably the thing that goes first. And now that you're in a foreign country, you know, across the sea to pretty much everyone you know, I can imagine that being incredibly difficult. Yeah, it's an interesting one. This isn't what I thought would be the hard bit. And I, I'm sure you can relate is that I thought it would be the constant training that's that, you know, the hardest thing. Um, but it's really not. It's everything else. The training I could do, I could do more of. I don't mind going to training. I enjoy it. The actual physical act of doing the hard training. That's fine. It's everything else. It's the not, like you say, not really having the active social life. It's the making sure you go to bed at this time. It's making sure you eat right. It's making sure that your hobbies are the right kind of hobbies. It's making sure that you do all your recovery, that you stretch at the right times, that you rub the right cream into your Achilles. You know, it's all that kind of extra stuff, not being able to go on holiday with your partner because you have a competition in two weeks and, oh, but it's two weeks away. Yeah, but I still can't. Um, It kind of takes over your whole life and yeah this is what I asked for because this is kind of the dream um but I don't think it looks how a lot of people expect it to look no and I think uh, yeah I think those who know you or who will understand you know any kind of sporting prowess they'll they will understand but unfortunately that's not the majority of people um what I was going to ask is, you mentioned relationships. Is it difficult maintaining or establishing relationships while being a full-time athlete? Yes. <laughs> insanely, <laughs> insanely difficult. Um, because I've got sort of strange needs at certain times of year. You know, there's when, I, when I'm competing, that's just the most important thing. It's the only thing that's kind of going through my head. And I'm so selfish. And kind of, I I know to expect that if it was another athlete that I was I was dating, but it's it's not. Um, and I think for somebody to come from a world that isn't in sport to then come to a full time athlete, that 
could be really difficult um, because I'm so at certain times can be so focused on what it is that I'm trying to do that I forget about their needs. Well, naturally, that's always going to be the case. Like, um, it's it's part of the 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 job criteria is you do have to be so driven for your own goals because as as scary as it sounds, your goals are also you know representing your country which is almost like the country's goal so so like <laughs> it's like you know it can't really take a, a you know a back pedal um and no exactly and i have to just keep telling myself it's not forever well yeah exactly and i think um it, it's hard to find people who are that supportive um oh so hard oh, you know i'm i'm with an absolute saint my boyfriend's amazing i mean i you know sort of six months into a relationship was like I'm moving to Florida (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know and that wasn't a discussion point that wasn't a you know what do you think it was this is what's happening Mm. do you want to stick around for it Um, tough really tough really difficult and I'm you know surprised that he has because that's not something that most people in a relationship would want is suddenly okay I go from I can see you almost every weekend um to maybe I'll see you every couple of months Mm. You know, in your sort of mid twenties, that's not the kind of relationship you want to be having. How did you meet him? Um, <laughs> he saw me on TV at the Olympics and messaged me on Facebook. <laughs> right, what a ballsy yeah, we, man! <laughs> I know, well, we'd actually gone to the same school and the same uni, but never knew each other. Um, he said he'd seen me in the gym at uni once because there was one year where we crossed over and um, were there at the same time um he'd had a girlfriend at the time so it didn't come and speak to me but saw me on tv thought that's the girl from the gym i'm gonna message now <laughs> and boom magic happened <laughs> <laughs> so you know people who are sliding into dm shoot your shot it does work sometimes <laughs> <laughs> no that's that's fascinating and is he uk based well he was um and then a, a few months into me being over here he moved to zurich oh right okay <laughs> which you know again i can't argue with because i moved to florida <laughs> yeah. so it just adds an extra hour under the time difference between us um but it doesn't mean that i've got somewhere really nice to go and visit when i'm back in europe no true and do you get to come back to europe much it depends what time of year it is so i was back for the indoor season in february and some and a little bit of march and then i'll be back again at the end of april and then I should be in Europe for most of the summer then because most of our season is in Europe. Um, but there's the potential for me to be in America all the way from kind of November through to March next year. Okay. Um, it's actually not too bad. It's just that these stretches just feel so long. I think it's cause, because, you know, I'm, it, the social life sort of dies off out here. Um, but no, I'm, I'm lucky. I do get to come back to Europe a lot. And even when I'm not in the UK, my group has a base in Amsterdam. Right, okay. So over the summer, we'll also, it's, it's very cute, actually. The, the girls stay on a, a boat. We have a little boathouse that we rent um, near the training ground. Um, so juggling long-distance relationships, loneliness, intense training sessions... <laughs> How, what do you do outside of training uh, for fun? I know that you sing because you're on The Voice, which is incredible. I'm <laughs> a very multi-talented <laughs> person. But So, yeah, what 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 is your pastime look like? So this is the area that I'm currently working on the most because I've gone through a, a phase recently where I've been doing nothing, and I mean nothing. Um, I read a lot, so I go to the local library quite a lot. 
But beyond that, I've, I've really not had anything to do outside of training. And I've gotten back to that stage where I go to training and I come home and I think about the next day's training. Um, and that honestly is no way in my, for me, it's no way to live. I, I, I'm mm. much happier when I'm busy. Um, so I've started trying to do a few things. One of my training partners has a dog, but she has a job in the afternoon. So I've started taking him out in the afternoons. Um, I'm trying to, to find something that I can do that's a hobby. The, the music side of things, I was going and singing at open mic nights um, and at a local school, actually, one night a week. Um, but the open mic nights that I knew of shut down and the other ones are just so far away that by the time I got home, it would be gone midnight and I've got to be at training at nine and I need nine hours sleep. So I just can't do it. So I haven't quite got that sussed yet. Um, I'm still very much in a in a stage of figuring out how to spend my time, um, how best to spend my time. I feel I should be learning something. I actually think that I was at my best and happiest when I was still studying. Um, it was manic, absolute chaos, trying to fit all the training and the competing and get my assignments in on time for uni. But I think I was happiest when I had didn't have much time to stop and think and stop and be bored. Yeah, I, I can I really appreciate that. Um, I'm currently like suffering from a shoulder injury of which like, all my training stopped. And so I have stupid amounts of time in my hands. Hence partly why I started this podcast, to be honest. Um, but yeah, and I think, you know, there's so much out there that you've only really got to find what you really want to do. And then obviously that isn't based physically, you know, it's more of a mental stimulation. But definitely, I think that's really important. It sounds like you're you're looking in the right way, especially when you mentioned university, because... I think personally, when you're learning, that's when you're, you know, it sets your mind on fire and so everything sort of ticks over. So something skill based might be really up your street. Definitely. I think something, something that I'm learning a new skill is probably the way to go. But honestly, I'm the kind of person I need external accountability. So I need to sign up for a course because um, I know myself too well. I'm the kind of person that if you tell me, oh, have you got, can you write this article for me? Can you get it to me in your own time? You will never, ever see it. Um, if you ask for it on Monday at seven, it will be there on, uh, on mm. Monday at 6.59. Um, but in my own time, it will never get done. And so I need some kind of external accountability for anything that I'm going to learn. So I think my best bet is probably going to be to sign up to a course um, where someone's checking up on me and saying, have you done this? Have you not? I, I look forward to uh, finding out whatever, whatever you're getting involved <laughs> in. Or like extreme ab sailing or something. <laughs> That'd be great. Not sure my coach would agree, but I no, think it'd be true. great. <laughs> <laughs> so now back to athletics. Are all eyes on the twenty twenty Olympics? No. So we actually have a World Championships this year, which is the the big focus before Tokyo. Hey, fab. Um. So every year for for Brits at least, there's something big to focus on. So last year we had the Commonwealth Games and the European Championships. This year it's the World Championships and then next year it'll be Tokyo. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of what we're aiming at. But athletics is getting a bit of a shakeup at the moment. The ranking system is changing. Um, so the way that we compete and how important each competition is, is really about to change. So um, we're sort of spending this year getting to grips with the new ranking system. And then that system is going to determine how we get picked for Tokyo. I thought you said wanking then. I was like, wow, athletics has changed. <laughs> Maybe I did. <laughs> oh. Okay, so all eyes on, on the world champs then. 
Definitely, yeah. So it's it's in Doha, but it's in October. It's a bit of a weird one. Normally, the the main championship for the year would be in August, okay. but because it's so hot in Doha, they're having it in the end of September into October, which isn't actually great for everybody preparing for Tokyo because it means we have a couple of months less preparation because we'll have to still be peaking for competition. Mm. Um, but the world champs are really important in terms of sponsorship, in terms of getting funding for the, for the next year. So um, we can't overlook them. It's definitely the, the big target for the year. Okay. And are you hopeful? Yeah. So the, the qualification standard is, is below my personal best, but only, well, no, it's a fair bit below. It's, I think it's, 14 centimeters below my personal best but i'll still need to get it again and then i'll still need to come in the top two at the british championships in order to be automatically selected for it there'll be three spots so there'll be one discretionary spot but generally i've not done too well in those discretionary spots and i've not got them it's they've gone to somebody else which is you know that's what they're there for the discretionary Mm. but if i put myself in that top two at the trials and i have a standard then they have to pick me so that's going to be the the goal for the year um and i managed it last year i managed it in 2016 um so i'm hopeful yes and i've had a really good winter of training so as long as i can execute things properly keep my head on straight we should be good to go do you ever you know worry about expectation um you know because obviously it is a numbers game and you know you're like i've got this window to to clear um does does that worry you only very occasionally um luckily for me I I just I love competing um the sort of and I think I've had to teach myself to focus much more on competing and enjoying that and sort of process goals rather than outcome goals um that I've I've managed to avoid feeling all that expectation to to make distances there was a year Hmm, 2015 and I hadn't had a personal best for three years but I know I'd gotten faster I knew I'd gotten stronger and I couldn't figure out what was wrong and it's because I was just chasing that that expectation I was chasing a distance and I was thinking you know I need to jump this far I need to jump this far and every single time I just get caught up in that in my own head instead of just saying okay what are the actual steps that are going to help me jump this far okay well run this way to the board make sure your knee is angled like this and instead of focusing on that I was so desperate for the distance that that's all I could think about and it didn't happen until I just, I dropped it. So I, I learned that a couple of years ago and I've, I've managed, I think, to carry that through pretty well. Um, occasionally I catch myself and I'm, I'm getting obsessed over distances again. But as soon as I do, I remember that that doesn't really work. And how do you deal with, uh, well, failures or setbacks or injuries? Like that kind of, you know, how do you motivate yourself to get through those kind of difficult spots? So specific failures, I have a technique that was given to me by um, Ashley Bryant, who's a decathlete, and he was the team captain for one of the teams that I was on. And um, he gave a speech and said that as a decathlete, you've got 10 events over two days, you have to be able to deal with failure. You have to be able to just get over it and move on to the next thing. And he says, but sometimes you're so disappointed that you can't just move straight on. So he said he gives himself a set amount of time that he's allowed to be upset and annoyed and kick and scream and cry about a certain result. And then you have to move on. And I've employed that technique and I kind of give myself different amounts of time depending on how big of a disappointment it was. You know, so if it's a if it's a small, insignificant competition, I can have, I can have two hours. If it's a big one, I give myself a couple of days. Um, but it really helps because it means that I don't invalidate those feelings and I let myself feel them and think, okay, it's it's absolutely fine to be upset and disappointed about this, but also to acknowledge that it's not actually productive to just sit around and wallow 
Mm. because that doesn't help you get to your next goal. So that's kind of one really specific technique that I use. But aside from that, I just draw on past successes and failures. And I think different situations call for different things. So when I'm injured, for example, um, it really helps me to focus on times that I've won, times that I've been on a podium and, you know, to refeel that feeling and to motivate myself and remind myself to keep going. But then when I'm in a really hard training session that I'm struggling to power through, I find it much more useful to remember how it felt to lose and to go, if you don't push through this, then you're going to get that feeling again. Wow. That was, that was awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So finally, before we wrap up, um, what would you say to people who want to achieve uh, but are, are struggling to motivate themselves or struggling to get the balance right? Or from, from what your story, what would you say a big lesson is to someone wanting to achieve anything in life? I would say if you, you, you really find yourself struggling to come back to one specific thing over and again and you're just not quite getting it right, step outside of that and look at the rest of your life. Are you happy? Because I found that even when I'm doing the exact right things in training, I'm doing all the recovery, I'm sleeping right, I'm doing my best and everything. When I'm not happy where I am in life, the results will not come. And I've shown that to myself over and over. There's been times when I know that my training's been good and I've just been in a bad place in my own head. And physically, there's no reason why I shouldn't be able to do it. And I couldn't. And, you know, I would, I made a change. I, something different happened that I made happen. And suddenly within a week, sometimes the performances would skyrocket because I just got myself into that place where I was happier. And I think that is the biggest thing I've learned throughout my whole athletics career so far. And, you know, I've been, I've been pro for seven years now. I would just say that happiness comes before success. It's not the success that brings the happiness. Wow. (laughs) Another world of wisdom there. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Jazz. Honestly, it's been it's been an absolute pleasure to hear your story, genuinely. So thank you for coming on the show. No, it's been fantastic. Thanks. So that does it for this week. How cool is Jazz? I uh, think we all wish her the best in the world champs and I'll definitely be keeping an eye on her progress. Um, If you'd like to check out more of Braindump, just check us out on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, And I'm also, my personal account is also on uh, Instagram as well. So that's cool. Uh, Yeah, till next time. Cheers.